This thing right here is letting all the ladies know what guys talk about. You know, the finer things in life. <laughs> Check it out. Ooh, that dress so scandalous, and you know I never couldn't handle it. So you're shaking that thing like who's the ish with the look in your eyes so devilish. Uh, you like to dance on the hip hop spots, and you cruise to the cruise like connect the dots. Not just urban, she liked the pop 'cause she was living la vida loca. She had dumps like a truck, truck, truck. Thighs like what, what, what? Baby, move your butt, butt, butt. I think I'll sing it again. She had dumps like a truck, truck, truck. Thighs like what, what, what? All night long. Me see that Listen to Ink Studs, and my guests this week uh, are Anne Ishii and Graham Colbeans. Uh, their new book from Fanographics is the massive anthology uh, collection of um, not just gay comics, but big dude gay comics. Is that a good way of putting it? Yeah. Robust. Husky like, <laughs> yes. erotica. Um, as well as the massive gay manga. Um, goods and apparel 
I uh, th think my favorite was you have a, um, is it like a docking thing? <laughs> yeah, the tube? A double whole cup Tenga. It's a, a sex toy we made in collaboration with the brand Tenga and Opening Ceremony. And it has two holes. Uh, one is the sweet side and the other is the bitter side. And uh, you can choose which one you like or you can use it with a friend. Okay. I sh I, maybe I should uh, uh, let folks know that um, it'll be a very frank conversation about sexuality. Uh, yes. So if you don't want to hear the word penis, uh, maybe tune out now. Too uh, late. <laughs> 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 so I'm interested in how this device operates. Is it um, is it just like a sleeve? Uh, um, that, if that's how you want to describe it, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a double-sided fleshlight. Okay, cool. I like how fleshlight just makes complete sense to everybody on first listen. You know, often I was actually wondering yesterday what fleshlight... So, in England, they call them torches. I'm wondering what they call fleshlights in England. Um, well, fleshlight's actually like a trademark company name, right? Like, it's like an actual... Yeah, but it's like a pun off of a regular American term. I wonder, yeah, where... I mean, I think the most, you know, it's portable orifice is kind of what it is, but... And this one's... <laughs> Double-sided portable orifice. Thanks. <laughs> well, that's and and does this have artwork on it? Yeah, it has yeah. a Jiraiya's best couple illustration, which is on some of our other stuff, sweatshirts and t-shirts. Um, I, I like to refer to it as a three-way in a can. Nice. <laughs> is that the two kind of um, smiling dudes locking eyes image? Yes. Okay, yeah, that is a very, like, I don't know, friendly, <laughs> friendly, uh, it, it, it's interesting, um, maybe something to jump into this is, is how, how much diversity there is just in this one anthology. It, it's like you guys have very much, it feels like you very much curated it to a specific body type, but the types of, um, the types of, like, sex that the creators in it like is very diverse still. And even the storytelling yeah. styles. Um, I, I'm hearing my echo now, but is that a problem? Oh, no, there it is. It's gone. Okay. Um, like an echo, I think a lot of sort of romantic encounter counterparts, uh, encounter parts, I'm going to just say, Perfect. Uh, <laughs> are sort of reflections of just, I think, a lot of times... So this is part one of one answer, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, they're usually just, there, a lot of times we depict ourselves or have, you know, we reflect ourselves and others and in our work. So I think it might, it's sort of safe to say that this collection also reflects just the lifestyles of the creator. So the fact that they happen to depict larger characters is sort of also an indication of a lifestyle that exists. It's not just like an art style. And then the second part to what I want to say is also because there is this, um, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive and the lines are not made of titanium, but they're, because there are different genres of uh, homoerotic manga that are not necessarily authored by gay men, you know, I think there's a contradistinction happening mm -hmm. and then that the easiest way to do it through the art might be just in different 
depictions of different kinds of bodies because manga characters do have styles. So, like, again, I mean, this is one of those issues I think we've had to um, think about sort of carefully just because, you know, we're not... I mean, I personally wasn't specifically looking for only depictions of larger guys, but that is one way of, you know, describing, actually, uh, this sort of community. There, I mean, there's so many different kinds of artists, but um, it just happens to be one that has counter-distinguished itself from, say, Yaoi and BL. Mm-hmm. Right. And the massive book is, um, am I right to assume that it's kind of like a, like a snapshot of a specific community, which kind of stems out of Tagame's work? Yeah, um, Gengar Tagame was pretty much the first commercially successful gay manga artist. And in the early 90s, he sort of rocketed to success and helped establish G-Men magazine, along with two other editors from Badi, which was like a pre-existing gay magazine. Um, And G-Men really heavily focused on manga and helped um, facilitate the careers of a lot of the artists in Massive. Um, So you can definitely see his influence aesthetically and narratively on their styles and sort of like how his interest in larger men enabled these artists to, you know, um, propagate work about larger men as well. Um, But yeah, they all have their own tastes. Um, Unlike Anne, I would say that I am more attracted to the larger types and like, I think that um, is sort of how I first found my way to gay manga about a decade ago. Um, just like looking at the live journals and blogs of the bear community in the English speaking internet. Mm-hmm. And some of this work would sort of like spill over into that. And I really got obsessed with it and wanted to know like, who are these artists making comics about huge, cuddly, bearded dudes? They're not is all this something cuddling. that spilled over into um, into was it just gay comic book community or was it was it a larger just people looking at images like was this mixed in with photographs or was it all other comics? When yeah, yeah, yeah. Alongside photographs, um, and I think that's sort of a distinction from other manga genres that this has like found its way to audiences just based on like the content more than the fact that it is manga so that's sort of interesting Definitely. i, w- I want to know a little bit of um maybe the genesis of the project kind of mix in with um what your backgrounds are going into this and taking us on because someone was telling me graham that you're actually doing a lot of work um documenting other um mangaka did i get it right i'm gonna fail everything i try to say <laughs> um comic creators you can call them wrong Okay. Japanese comic creators. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it right, Mangaka. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So I'm kind of that, that background. Let me know a bit about um, that going into this. I I had been um, running an art blog for a few years. Um, it wasn't specifically devoted to manga, but um, manga is one of the subjects that I would write about, um, and. You know, I would also write about painting, illustration, sort of like 
stuff that you might see on Boom or Fecal Face or like any of the contemporary art blogs in that genre. Um, but I guess at a certain point, I, I really started covering gay manga stuff and feeling like someone needed to like do something to put this out there more. Um, I made a little video because I did this um, project where I made a series of prints based on the manga of Seizo Ebisubashi, who's mm-hmm. in the book. Um, and I had just like I was just playing around with his images and my friend's letterpress machine. But I made a video about it and started talking about gay manga or bara as a, I was referring to it at the time. Um, and that sort of like really picked up a lot of steam, I think. I saw like how many people were interested in this. So um, that was right before I got in touch with Anne because um, I was like, okay, next step would be trying to find a way to interview these guys because um, there were like no English language interviews on the internet. And my friend Michelle was like, oh, you know, Annie, she, she's been translating some of this work for Chip Kid's private collection. And so then the three of us and Chip and I like got together and that was sort of like one of the genesis of the project. No, go ahead. I was just going to add that, you know, um, Graham and I had been sort of floating in the same social circles just through like giant robot and like Southern California, like just, I mean, Michelle who Graham just mentioned was the general manager of the galleries and stores for giant robot. And, um, you know, so we were already in the same ecosystem, and then Chip was, um, like I, like Graham mentioned, um, just wanted me to specifically translate Tagame's work that he had been collecting for years. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where when I met Graham and he told me uh, he wanted to find and interview all these guys, I thought... Um, a, definitely a good idea. B, um, I think he was saying he wanted to pitch them as articles to, like, Butt Magazine. And I was like, why would you do all of that work and run it on a magazine that won't pay you? So, mm-hmm. like, it was sort of the, I mean, that was, as Graham mentioned, again, one of the genesis points. But it was also this idea that it should be something bigger than just, like, editorial. Like, it could turn into a book. It could be um, a brand, um, an imprint just like a whole thing right maybe we should point out to to, to listeners who chip kid is right? so he's basically he's mostly known yeah. as, a, as a book designer am i right mm-hmm. yeah he does I, a lot of penguin books or is he just kind of all over the random place? house he works for random, random house. house he's a he's yeah. designer he's also um the editor of the pantheon line at uh at yeah house. i just also realized that brandon's not inaccurate penguin and random house are oh, now okay. the same company which is <laughs> really weird to say because circa you know early aughts when i met chip it was like unthinkable to confuse the two but that they're the same company i was really creepy oh um, it's good that i that times have changed enough that my mistake is not a mistake yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so he's an art director slash book designer slash ted fellow slash just all-around comics enthusiast slash yeah, he seems to double a lot that, of, uh, he does a lot of dc like he's done some writing for dc comics yeah, he's also a Batman fanatic. I mean, more mm. than anything. I think that might be the first hashtag for him. <laughs> Just, I wonder, yeah. Uh, I wonder that, if somewhere in uh, 
I wonder if somewhere in his collection, if there's any uh, crossover between the massive artists and Batman. Huh. Um, like a Tagami really Batman. Oh yeah, actually, um, he did he did a book recently, or he's putting a book together with a bunch of comic artists doing their versions of Batman, and there's a Gengaro Tagami Batman in there. Oh no! Oh, I think yeah. I asked to do something for that. Right. Yes. So that's exactly the. What is he calling it? I forget. Anyway, Jiraiya did one too, but they're they're just illustrations of Batman. But I'm just thinking if like, um, I I'm just wondering if anybody has done like a slash porn dojinshi type thing of Bat manga, but or Batman. Oh, sure, there's uh, there's been hundreds. Yeah. I'm, yeah I, I actually, in um, Tagame's art history book. Gay Erotic Art in Japan, Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of traces the lineage of contemporary gay art to these artists who were working in the 40s, 50s, and 60s in the, like, perverse press, hentai zashi of the era. Um, and there's this great image in there. Um, I'm forgetting the artist's name right now, but it's just Batman crucified with like these weights tied to his balls. Right. I sent that to Chip once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never stopped. Just to his work email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so something, maybe this is a little slightly off the, the, the specific scene here, but I remember reading in one of the in one of the text pieces in here about how there's a lot of female readers that are, how a lot of the lines of, of the types of, of where the work is published isn't so much based on the creator or their orientation as much as the um, is is the way the work is presented, like the body types are being drawn. I wonder if there's any female uh, comic artists in kind of the massive crew, not not the book specifically, but like that right. scene. Yeah, there's certainly women who also depict um, in, or draw in this style. The crossover is happening more recently. Um, I I mean I'm saying that from just uh, from what I'm told, I haven't been actively looking for that, for it. But mm-hmm. like Tagame was saying, that they're you know they're women are doing that, um, just as more men are doing in art in the Yaoi BL style. Right. Um, yeah, that's definitely become sort of a porous distinction with time. Was yeah, it- um, when we went to the Kaigai International Manga Festival mm-hmm. um, in November, uh, which is like this big manga festival that happens at Tokyo Big Sight, um, Gengar Otagame introduced me to this artist, Zin, who is a former um, shoujo mangaka. She's been writing girls' comics in the past, but in the past like five or ten years, she's been contributing to... G-Men and SMZ and other gay magazines um, under this pen name that's sort of like it's it's not necessarily a male pen name but she's not like presenting as a female in the magazines mm-hmm. and she tells these male male erotic love stories interesting I wonder if that's I wonder if that's like moving out of the hard stuff you know because the, the girls the girls comics right I guess it's lighter and you know, romantic. Yeah, I mean, Takami actually not to keep talking about him, but he he does have a lot of um, thoughtful things to say about just that again that distinction between genre and audience, um, genre, gen- gender, and and just the way you know authors 
gender and audience gender and it's really interesting I think um, just for example um, even the hard hardcoreness or the the the, the accuracy I guess I don't know how else to describe it of the penetration depicted uh, you know for a while that I think gay artists were saying you know you can tell when a woman's done it because it's inaccurate or they clearly haven't had man on man sex or whatever but I think that that's actually you know it looking for that is also sort of a weird way to authenticate content so um I, it's just interesting. I, I, I'm having like a billion thoughts right now, but if I try to focus, I guess it kind of also comes down to how important penetration is in these narratives. So is it erotica? Is it, you know, lifestyle manga? Or are, are these stories about gay men? Or is it about gay art? Or is it about sex, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and even the are, stories in the massive don't have actual sex in them too. Right. And it's, you know, a lot of our artists have told us that they actually, you know, not all of them, but many of them have said that they actually do enjoy drawing a uh, manga that's not just about the sex, but there's sort of this imperative because it's what makes it sell, and um, which isn't to say they don't like doing it, but you know, it's sort of well, there's yeah, a, but that's there's, a lot of hours to draw boners. Yeah, <laughs> but there's also there's like a balance of like. Um, portraying your culture is more than just you know right the 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 sex all the time like there's more to right. it and some of that like the one story about the guy who who's in high school drawing um, right right the, you know and that that's a really interesting take just on the whole coming out thing yeah um and like really struggling with that totally <laughs> and that artist that you're talking about takeshimatsu i think is specifically really into into the this what I'm calling lifestyle art, but you know, as post erotica, where mm-hmm. um, he's actually a great example of somebody who has so many more interests than just you know um, attracting readers. But then his dojinshi are really popular because they he he tells these stories that are multi-volume, which I think is also indicative of with all due respect to pornography and erotica you know they they don't need to just be episodic and about penetration it can actually be about you know volumes and volumes of just like the way a relationship develops between two people or four people or whoever whatever yeah and i think there's been um sort of a movement towards that more um narrative based less less sex based um manga in the gay realm over the last um, maybe decade since perhaps like the decline of the magazine industry where um, a lot of these artists are making doujin and they don't have an editor telling them okay this just needs more sex mm-hmm. right they're kind of yeah, more I assume, I assume just the doujin market just being completely driven by by readers without the editorial in between is completely changes the content yeah yeah, yeah, and actually. I mean, read, readers also want sex a lot of the time, so <laughs> right. I think sometimes artists feel like the pressure to put more sex in just to, like, sell more copies, but um, I think, yeah, the the magazines that gay manga flourished in in the 90s were really, you know, adult magazines. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I think it's also worth noting, sort of interestingly, when you talk to MOG artists, maybe not just gay MOG artists, but um, a lot of people talk about trying to fill a void or trying to fulfill a readership or market that wasn't addressed before. So um, several artists have said that they started doing gay comics because there weren't comics for them, you know. Uh, I wasn't seeing what I wanted to read. I found that straight comics weren't really appealing to me and, you know, I, I needed to do this because it was what I wanted to read or I depict this because this is what I like and it's to fill this vacuum. So it's sort of, and I don't think with the reader's expectations or that relationship between the reader and the writer is more sort of fluid maybe in that sense because they are also trying to create content that they want slash need to find mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it's like yeah certainly. yeah huh. another thing in this book i've noticed um i might be wrong in this but is this is this mostly an older generation of, of cartoonists it seemed like most of the ages that people were were over 40 or late 30s mm, they're actually I think part of that is a function of we wanted to represent the most important artists, so they happen to be a little more experienced, but I don't actually know who the youngest one is. They're not all middle-aged, but, um, I mean, you might be right. They might all just be closer to 40 than, say, 20, but I don't know. That might... I think in my mind it's just because we were looking for the, the most widely published people, not, you know... Um, yeah, um, most of these guys kind of got their start in the late 90s. Um, so there's definitely a younger generation of gay artists making work that a lot of them haven't even necessarily been published in magazines or in book form yet. But if you go on Pixiv or other like um, image-based communities, um, you can find these artists who are making work and like trying to get their names out there. But yeah, we we sort of wanted to focus on people who had a longer back catalog. Right, right, certainly. Um, so one of the things I noticed in the in the forwards of the book is is there's lots of talk about about the effects of pirating on the work. Mm, yeah. You know, one of the things that I was wondering about that in relation to the people's ages is that that was something kind of a growing pains of, of people that kind of didn't start doing comics in the internet age. Hmm. That's a really good question. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I know from a creator point of view, just with tools of the trade, some of them have said that making the transition was kind of um, like a Mobius strip of now it's easier to produce content precisely because of digital tools, including the internet, but it's also harder to make money off of it, so it's this double-edged sword, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know specifically about whether they might just have a harder time accepting piracy because they used to be able to track all of their sales, but it's um, it's certainly not a uniform problem or solution. Um, it was a bit know, of a, it was a bit ahead. of a challenge reading the book, um, just with it being a reoccurring theme um, in the interviews, mm -hmm. and uh, Brad and I were kind of talking about this beforehand. Um, because I was, I was getting kind of frustrated because um, you have all these uh, cartoonists saying 
the same thing. And I understand there's that balance of like the importance of them, but I'm kind of like, I want to know more about them. Right, too. right, right. And it was like taking away from that for me. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the reasons we wanted to focus on that was because like there's just been this huge divide between North American readers and the Japanese creators because like there's this all this piracy, like all of their work is available if you go looking for it. Um, but at the same time, like they like you said, they're not really digital natives. They started working in pen and ink and they don't for the most part have like great web presences. They don't have like websites where you can go and buy the work or like get to know them very well. Th that's started to change recently. But um, we wanted to sort of investigate, like, what is this issue of the internet? Like, how has it affected these artists? Like, where all of their work's out there, but but not in, in an official capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in fact, I would say, I mean, to address the issue of just editorially speaking, what to what what is the message of our of our compendium? I mean, certainly it's to introduce the artists, but the key point there was that they're sort of authorized, right? So, and the, I, I mean, it's not even all of the artists that are so upset. I mean, just the simplest way to put it is not all of the artists are necessarily completely just miffed and upset about piracy. Some of them just understand it's a necessary evil, but... There's also this idea that I think th there's an unspoken sort of intimidation between Japan, Jap specifically Japanese content and American readers, which is sort of misguided. So, mm -hmm. you know, piracy might be the wrong word for it, actually, but this idea that we have to look for it without them is a little weird. So I know that maybe... Right, so almost humanizing them as, like... Is that was that part of the the impetus between behind kind of putting photos of the creators in there? Right to the extent that they were confident and and um, okay with it because the other thing we have to deal with is privacy. It just means completely different things in Japan. So right. I I just think and I believe the in the sort of purview of massive is you can actually respect a person's privacy and still exploit them. So like. They, they don't mind being exploited. It just has to be in tandem with them, not despite them. So mm -hmm. it, it's something that came up a lot. And if, you know... Yeah, for instance, like before we even went to Japan, um, Takashi Matsu got in touch with us and explained this situation where he he found, like when, you, when he Googles himself, the... All the results are piracy, and hmm. the top result is, is like takeshimatsu.tumblr.com, and it's this guy just posting like all of Takeshimatsu's manga. So he messaged that guy and was like, "Hey, can you actually take this down? It hurts my career, and like I can't sell things." And the guy just never responded. So that's sort of like we wanted to give a voice to like. The, the artist's frustrations with like seeing all of their work out there and not like really being able to communicate with the people who were putting it out and at the same time like those people are fans like you wouldn't go to the lengths that it takes to make a fan scanlation if you don't really care about the content so it's like right. they, want, they want to help these artists they want to like 
promote yeah. their work, but there just wasn't the tools and they didn't even know who these people were. So that's, I think that's why piracy was like a big focus for us. Right. Almost just asking people to take the, if you're going to take the, the step to translate an entire book someone did, maybe take the extra step of just contacting them. Right, exactly. Because yeah. none of them are trying to say that it's their work. Like, it's not somebody saying, oh, I wrote this. It's saying right. somebody wrote this and I want everybody to see my translation of it. Right, but it's almost this idea of, like, this person that made this from the far-off Orient that we'll never interact with. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's the part that it's, like, really bewildering to me. Um, and, you know, to Robin's point, I think it would be really dope if we were able to just go into just the lifestyles of the mangaka. Um, mm -hmm. and that that would be so fantastic and in a manner of speaking we have done that Graham's shot a lot of great footage there's like there's an amazing trove of interviews already accomplished and filmed and all of that and um, again part of it is privacy actually like this information is uh, you, we, you just have to be careful about how it gets presented mm -hmm. right how what is the general because because I, I got the idea in the book that um, that Tagami's kind of um, much more in the spotlight than the other guys because he chose to, rather than that they like it's almost that they like like what's kind of the I guess I'm asking what what's the the reason because it, it feels like these are these are creators that are out and gay mm -hmm. and they're kind of families and communities but kind of don't necessarily want their faces connected with their work. Is that um, yeah? What's what's the reasoning behind that? I mean, frankly, they aren't necessarily all out. So okay. the definition of out is also kind of problematic. Um, here, I think it means out, you know, out 100%, but there it can sometimes mean out 99% or, you know, out but with an asterisk. Um, some of these artists actually already do, for lack of a better word, straight comics. So mm -hmm. to then announce that they also do pornographic gay comics is really problematic. They'd lose their work. work you know, just, I think it mm -hmm. wouldn't be very different than, say, somebody here doing, you know, like a kid's comic and then the editor finding out that they also do gay porn. You know, it's... Well, Dave gay. Cooper does a kid's TV show at this point. And well, I mean, but also yeah. doing straight porn. Because, I mean, I've, yeah. I've worked... You know, I worked at Adventure Time recently and I've done a lot of porn, but I think that it's probably, I, I can totally see there being a different stag stigma between straight stuff and gay stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. One of the main points I like to um, sort of just bring up when it comes to issues of privacy and, like, closetedness is that, um, I mean, people, everyone thinks of Japan as sort of like this progressive, futuristic place, but at the same time, there are... You know, there's no workplace protection for LGBT people written into law. There's, like, no laws that protect gay people from housing discrimination and all these other things that sort of we take for granted in 2015 in the U.S. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, they can actually be fired from whatever their day job is, and almost all of them have a day job. Gengar Otagame is probably the only artist who just 100% does gay manga at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so for him, he doesn't... I mean, and he's also, like, the most brazen. I think <laughs> it, 
it has to do with like each of their individual personalities and their relationships with their families and communities. And Togame's just always been balls out about it. <laughs> right, and he strikes me as somebody like I can't imagine him doing something that wasn't erotic. Like, does he? Does that exist in his body of work? He's just started to. He's um, for the first time he's making a manga for a general audience manga magazine called Monthly Action. It's a uh, has gay subject matter, but it's totally safe for work. There's a little girl as one of the main characters, and <laughs> it's about this guy whose brother, uh, his twin brother, married a man in Canada, and then he passed away. So the so my his his husband shows up in Japan and like sort of becomes a part of the family it's called my brother's husband so it's sort of introducing um issues of gay life to a general audience neat and it's and it's a canadian character yeah yeah (laughs) he enjoyed his time in toronto do you know chris butcher from tcaf yeah we Uh, went for asks him for um details of canadian life so he, one of the things that he incorporated was, uh, a, I guess, craft mac and cheese is like a big deal. Oh yeah, yeah. They call it. Like, <laughs> I I have a case in my closet in the pantry. <laughs> so the 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 husband character makes it for the Japanese family. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, and, and Chris Butcher, I think maybe a side note, he was there's was Scott Pilgrim's roommate, and that was actually based off of Chris. I believe. Oh. Oh wow! I never knew Not that. that it looks anything like him? That's amazing. Uh, but kind yeah. Of that. A Culkin played Chris Butcher in a movie. We'll just yeah. leave that there. So good. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of put that in context of uh, yeah, and Chris is really he's he's actually um he was the the guy who gave me the copy of of the Caveman story in this before I'd seen it in in ah. massive because he was I guess selling a lot of his stuff through the Beguiling and 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 pushing it and that was that's I think that's one of my favorite stories in this whole book is the the Caveman Goo book. Is it okay. uh, Jiraiya? How do you pronounce the artist name? Yeah, Jiraiya. I want to, I'm curious, because you brought him over, uh, like, a month ago, two months ago, yeah. and I'm interested about that trip, um, especially, like, kind of seeing this experience through his eyes, um, yeah. co- you know, coming out, you know, well, quite publicly yeah. um, to a lot of events and things. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's start by talking about the tour through my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, it was fun, and I just want to point out how he, he might be the funny, fun slash funniest person I've ever traveled with. Um, just he's so unique, and it's it's hard to kind of place him in the world of even just gay or Japanese. But just he's so he, he's such a unique person. But um, First, it was funny because he was sort of like, well, I understand that there's a lot of demand to see me. I understand, of course, everybody wants to get a little Jiraiya autograph. And he was very, like, self-aware about the about the importance of the trip, but then was also sort of like, there's no way people are going to show up, and I just don't know if I can take that much time off on my day job, and, you know, I really appreciate it, but I don't know. It's just a little skittish about it at first. In, but in a really funny way of like, yeah, yeah, I know it's going to be worthwhile, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, it, it ended up just being such a blast. And, of course, like, each event was a huge success. And um, But the 
publicizing him was actually really precarious, and this kind of goes back to the privacy thing. Um, he's just categorically anti-photography. Like, he doesn't really like having his face out there, but understood that it was important to make a physical presence and just, you know, it, it was just kind of funny. Like, everybody was allowed to take pictures of him, but not of his face or... Um, and he was very intimate with his fans, so it, he's not scared of he's not scared of people. But it was just right. interesting. And he's, yeah. he's remarkably photogenic without showing his face in the in the book as well. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't come off at all like a like the you know how you'd think of a comic artist being very very kind of squeamish and like a lot of these guys look like kind of a cliche idea of a comic artist, but he's like in a muscle shirt every time. Right. Yeah, he's he's he lives what he preaches. Um, he thinks everyone should be muscular and that you should be able to carry out your loved ones if there's an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> the first time we met him, at, we had this like two-hour-long interview in a hotel in Sapporo, and before we even went in the room, he's like looking for the emergency exits. Like, yeah, he was what are like. We gonna do? <laughs> He's like, where are the fire escapes? I don't know what would happen if there was a fire right now. We were like, are you, <laughs> you, are you safe? safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carried you out anyway, even though there wasn't a fire. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, he was telling us about he'd go to bars and be embarrassed for straight men because they'd always. He's like, there's no way if their girlfriends got really trashed, they'd be able to princess carry them out of the bar like that's the phrase he used <laughs> <laughs> I like that that's I like that that's an important um, distinction of a, of a relationship for him <laughs> yeah <laughs> was he the interview where it talked about how him not being able to put his arms entirely around someone was yeah a... yeah and he actually so his partner came to the New York leg of the tour and um they would just have all these funny barbs about his his partner's weight gain and weight loss. I guess he lost like sixty pounds like ten years ago, six years ago, and um, they've been together for like almost twenty years. But um, he was saying how he showed us an old picture of himself when he was skinnier, and Jirai was like, "Isn't this the most disgusting thing you've ever seen? I just I couldn't stand it. He was so skinny." <laughs> And um, but the, the funniest part was he said I insisted that he regained that weight, but it drove me crazy. He was gaining it by eating ice cream, not steak. <laughs> so it's like, like don't don't gain all that weight back eating ice cream, honey. You need a, it needs to be protein. Um, Weird man, what a yeah. I don't know if me and him can date. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of body image pressure when you date Jiraiya, but <laughs> yeah. God, right. his partner is really adorable and uh, the model for a lot of the faces of Jiraiya's characters. Oh, nice. Okay. And he's, he's interesting in that uh, his his cover work seems really different from his, his manga work. Like, he does these intensely rendered... Totally. Uh, yeah, these, these these kind of muscular dudes. And then when he draws the... The cartoony stuff, it's like he, he kind of knows when to pull back and, and do simpler lines. I agree. Yeah, I think it's, I'm glad you pointed that out because um, there is Jiraiya the illustrator, artist, and Jiraiya the mangaka. And uh, 
I, I love his comics. They're so good, and he's he has such a knack for storytelling. Um, I think sometimes that gets lost when you're just looking at these pinned-up posters, but um, there is there's that... Yeah, he, he knows his his media really well and so it's interesting to think like oh what if he worked in other media you know Mm -hmm. um it's it's something that's come up and we've thought about yeah and when he was doing his uh presentation on the tour about his process he would talk about how he considers himself to be a slow artist because he can only really ink about two pages of manga a day which everyone stateside was really impressed by. Yeah, no, I was morally outraged by that, him even saying, <laughs> like, oh, I'm slow, I only do two pages a day. <laughs> but then, just the inking, though. <laughs> and his illustrations, um, he usually takes about two weeks to complete those photorealistic illustrations. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a definite, like, there's a divide in the two processes in his mind. Um, tell me about the visit to the Tom of Finland house with him. Ooh, that, that was, was fun. Really awesome that, yeah. that photo was pretty amazing of uh, with with Tom's widow. Yeah. yeah and, Dirk, um, um, he, Dirk is the president of the Tom of Finland Foundation, and he's done so much to keep Tom, Tom of Finland's legacy alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just really special for him to meet Jiraiya, who who really respects Tom's work, and they had like just such a nice moment together. Nice. How is the influence? Did you did you get much of an idea of how much the influential how influential Tom of Finland's work is in like the Japanese manga scene? Well, it's ironic because that's a question that came up a lot during the tour, and it's funny because Jiraiya kept kind of being like, "Of course, I know who he is and was aware of his work, but you know, growing up in Japan, I was fed on manga and anime, not on." necessarily western illustration or art but he he did sort of say um sort of quasi off record but like it you know it's it's a little bit strange to be asked about the pedagogical influence of tom finland when he doesn't really see it himself where it's like you know he was he was more like oh otomo katsuhiro is by far like the most influential artist I grew up on and like personally for example he mentioned like one of his favorite mangaka is Taiyo Matsumoto Mm -hmm. so like you know the and and that's not to say that Tom of Finland isn't present in his consciousness but just that you know people kind of asked him so much about it he wondered if he ought to be a bigger influence but (laughs) it was sort of like yeah I, I think that answer sort of shows like how Jiraiya is very Japanese. He's almost nationalistic in a sense. Um, this tour was his first um, time ever outside of Japan. Wow. Uh, well, Gengaro Tagame, on the other hand, is a very international artist. When he was like 19, 20, he was traveling around the world, going to Europe, Iran, America. Um, so, and He's always had, uh, I think the impact of Tama Finland is much more visible on Tagame's work. Right. Um, like when he started G-Men magazine, the first issues had like huge spreads on Tama Finland and, uh, and like things that were happening in the American bear scene. So he's been very conscious of like international gay art in a way that um, 
maybe Jiraiya, it hasn't been such a direct impact on his work. Right. Right. So also, do you think people are, are always saying that? Uh, just, I was also going to note that with Jiraiya, um, as, as I was talking about, Jiraiya especially has pointed out more sort of the influences of not just gay media. So, you know, like, we found out on this trip that he's a huge Alex Ross fan, which doesn't surprise me at all. But, you know, you look at the way that they illustrate, it's like, you know, the artistic influence there almost seems more prescient than maybe Tom of Finland. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it's just the subject matter that might that might surprise me. I, I do think it's funny, the idea of, like, of people asking about Tom of Finland and him saying, oh, no, I, I grew up on, you know, Akira. I wasn't, right. you know, being given gay porn when I was 11. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't lived. Yeah. Now, um, with Tagame, you have him coming up uh, in a couple of days after That's we're recording right. this. So by the time I'm right. recording the post this, he'll be in New York. Yes. He's coming to the Queers and Comics conference at the Committee for Lesbian and Gay Studies or the College of Clags. I forget the, what the theme is. Center for it. Lesbian Gay Academic Studies. Or Center, right. At, at CUNY. Yes. Um, is it multiple artists coming in from different places? Yeah, that's a really awesome um, conference. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. In, because Alison Bechtel, who's like oh, nice. probably one of the most famous and well-renowned um, gay or lesbian artists, is going to be a keynote speaker. And Howard Cruz, who started Gay Comics magazine in the 80s, so it's really great for him to... He's actually got a quote from in the back of the Massive, too. Yeah, yeah, that was really yeah. awesome. Get it for the cover. Um, but, I, like, so, I, I like this idea that, that Takami's being inserted into this kind of canon there. Yeah. yeah. Although it's hilarious to think of his work next to Howard Cruz's and Alison Bechtel's, because it's very... <laughs> town, for sure. Yeah, here we've got you know a woman dealing with her father's homosexuality, and here's nipple torture. <laughs> but I human want to relation. see a universe where all of their characters are in the same plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make our own uh, Avengers of gay comics or something. That would be fantastic. There we um, go. So, so I'm interested in if the if this book is. Um, so, I mean, obviously you've got the site continuing and all of the uh, the amazing double-ended flashlights and T-shirts and everything. Is is this going to be? Is there going to be a continuation of this in in print as far as kind of showing a larger uh, scope of of the game manga being made? Yeah, we're hoping. Um, people keep asking us, like, is there going to be a massive two? And I'm not saying that's off the table, but I think we we're really interested in like fostering the careers of individual artists beyond the anthology format. So hopefully we can get more artists like Seizo Ibisubashi, uh, more of Jiraiya's work. Takeshi Matsu's already got some more books coming out that, and translated for Bruno Gemunder. Um, so we're trying to um, just make as much of the work available as possible. Yeah. Right. It's, it seems to me like this is almost just a, I mean, this is such a, I mean, from my little bit limited understanding, kind of a sliver of the types of, of work over there. I've got another friend who, who does uh, American gay furry porn, and he 
goes over, he's gone over to Japan a couple times, and his, from the conversations I've had with him, the 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 game manga scene that he interacts with over there is completely outside of this. Like, it's all very, like, um, you know, like, I always describe it as, like, uh, gay porn for straight dudes, because it's, it's all, like, slim guys with big hips that kind of look like women with penises. Right, right. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, that the addresses the bigger agenda, too, of queer comics in general. So, right. you know, that's something that's definitely interesting to us. And as Graham pointed out, I think the future for Massive will be more about introductions to more and different kinds of queer comics. But, um, you know, like, the Massive book has to start from an assumption of zero knowledge, right? And then now it's sort of there's the zeitgeist, there's our presence in this, there's our role as translator as well as as editors and editorial just commentary and all of that. So, I mean, there's so many ways it can go forward. Um, Certainly. If and we were trying to, yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, it's like the only thing holding us back right now is bandwidth. Like, yeah. there's just so much we want to do, but so little time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Anne said, yeah, we want to explore... Um, other queer identities expressed in manga from lesbian to intersex and bisexual and everything in between. Right. Did you did you get much of a sense of that of those kind of comic communities? Yeah, a little. I mean, uh, Graham probably has a different uh, view of this. Actually, one difference between us might just be the sort of um, my internet competency is not as <laughs> fluid as. Grams, um, I think I, I I get a lot of my information just through um, probably two or three resources. Whereas the internet is infinite, but um, the there's so much out there for sure. We I I feel like we got a pretty good taste the last couple of times we were out there. But um, you know, like not just the sexuality, but I I would say my interest is actually just in the different formats. So like. Um, you know, Takeshi Matsu and Kumeda Puski, another artist in there, both have done like more sort of the Yonkoma or like the four frame um, comics. Like, I think that's actually a really interesting social study almost. Right, kind of the more classic, almost the Japanese yeah. kind of like newspaper strip comics. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I love that stuff, like social commentary type stuff. And, um, there's another artist whose name is escaping me right now. We saw some of their work, um, and they identify as intersexual. But the, you know, again, like comic strips, that sort of punchy, really, you know, the one-liner format, um, and not just funny and gagu, but just more yeah. memoir-based, like and non-fiction work. There's just so much out there. Yeah. Uh, even beyond the the erotic realm. Right. I'm interested in how the like a lesbian lesbian cartoonist work overlaps with how much there's kind of uh, like the boys of the male love comics made for women by women. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is that is that a community that also has uh, lesbians like portraying their actual lives in their work at all? Hmm. Yeah, I think there's some overlap there. I can't point to like a specific case, and I I'm not an expert in the BL arena, um, but. Yeah, from just personal anecdotes, there's, I think BL sort of is an expression of female sexuality. It's this way for female mangaka to, you know, 
tell stories of sex without necessarily like getting into the problematic relationships that you typically see in erotic manga written by men. Um, but I think just because they write about male-male stories doesn't mean that they're interested in men. They may be interested in women and are just expressing it through these characters. Yeah, and I think an interesting sort of, um, you know, the phrase or the term fujoshi is, uh, has become popular on, on, in the States as well, but this doesn't describe a straight woman who likes gay men or a lesbian who likes boyish women. Or fujoshi is just, it's literally the antithesis of a joshi. So it's literally just uh, like a, you know, I guess a literal translation is supposedly like a spoiled woman. And not spoiled like valley girl, but <laughs> spoiled like rotten meat. So, um, <laughs> rotten pussy. Uh, the, the girls, <laughs> girls that are not fit for debutante balls, basically, right? And and I... I to put out an, an anthology called Rotten Pussy, now it's your next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, done and done. Um <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start emailing people and just just get your vote of confidence on that. By the way. Um, oh yes, subject I, line rotten pussy. Yeah, exactly. I think we have Jen Vaughn in the background. Does she have any comments on that? I was gonna say I think she's. Oh, she's she loves rotten pussy. Character. She's all up in that shit. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, fetid labia. There's like so many different like uh, subtitles it could have. Anne. I think I think it disreeled you here, Anne. You're talking about. Um, <laughs> kind of the, the the place of this of this work. <laughs> you don't have to like rotten pussy. You have to be rotten pussy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's easier than done for most of us. But I think yeah. <laughs> I think we're pretty. And uh, yeah, so to that point, uh, woman like Jen can attest to this. I'm sure, but the there's also the frustration with um, just you know the. I, it's categories, right? Like, everybody wants to be outside of category. I think that's kind of where it comes down to as well with the dojishi community. There's there's this sort of fascination with, the, I think, t subtitling and titling and categories and identities and the acronyms and the truncations, portmanteaus, what have you. But I think at the center of all of that literal fetishizing is just this need to not be placated. So the with the woman or you know however a, a person identifies themselves as either a woman or female or whatever I, again i don't think it's about the sexual orientation it's it's just a lot of it i think does kind of come down to identification as something other than just what you put in you you know mm -hmm. okay. but uh not not to make it about rotten pussy again but Right. <laughs> We're I very put a excited hot dog about up it. in there a couple of years ago. I don't know what's it's, uh, <laughs> anyone's guess now. Um, I feel this is a a good moment to end on. Search your soul, Robin. No, probably not. But I'm going to anyways. Um, so I just want to also make sure folks know. So on top of the event in New York at the school that I forget the name of, but we'll have the link on the website. 
Um, Tagami will also be appearing at TCAF. Yeah, um, he'll be in Toronto for TCAF, and then the week after that, we're bringing him to Los Angeles, and we're doing another event at the Thomas Finland Foundation, and a gallery exhibition at the clothing brand Mishka's LA store. Nice. Nice. Um, and that's, we haven't really talked much about the clothing, um, but it's, I, I have to say, I saw someone wearing, like, one of the shirts as I was out at, like, a Vancouver hip restaurant, and it was really amazing to kind of see such, like, a loud, amazing shirt with non-comics folks, and, uh, it's really neat how you've been able to have that crossover. I, I would like to point out that the Instagram account is one of the hottest ones on the internet with the people wearing the shirts. So yeah, and <laughs> in the in the boxers. Yes. Yes. It's really fascinating and cool how much uh, it seems to be uh, tied to a lot of people's identification and how um, you know in the in the artist. And I, I liked reading just maybe as a side note. I liked reading in the in the thing in the massive tech stuff about how different types of bars would have different types of magazines right. to, to point out to the patrons what to expect there. Yeah, I think um, I think first of all thank you and I'm glad that there's presence in don't hate me for this, the couve. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's called uh, now, changing all the signs. Uh. <laughs> You're not welcome here. <laughs> Why did we put up the rotten pussy welcome signs? <laughs> I'll have you know, my house is filled with nothing but like bags of candy and smoking meat. It's a fine place, but you call it the couve. You're not welcome. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll just start calling it rotten pussy. Okay. <laughs> um, but the fashion, the fashion stuff. I mean, and as Brandon pointed out, like the the bars of the with the magazines um i think what excites me the most about what's going on is actually that this has been something that has bothered me since day one of publishing is how it exists in this weird bubble sometimes because mm-hmm. it is the source of so much amazing other content and it becomes the stuff of conversation but it can't author its own merchandising, which I've, I've always been completely perplexed by. So, you know, it's, why are we so sophisticated in one sense and then sort of myopic in another sense? Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's kind of why I think, just for our part, but everybody should sort of, I mean, and this is just me speaking as somebody who's been in marketing and publicity for way too long, but it's like, you know, if we keep crying about the death of the comic book or the book or the publishing industry, um, it's it's going to be our own fault or whatever. I don't know. Not to not to get so down on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain like preaching to the choir aspect in a lot of comics communities, and I think that's because of what fandom is like. Whether you're in the punk scene or in the comic scene, like. It's it's a very, you know, it, it can become an incestuous circle. And I think, like, w- what I'm most proud of with our clothes is just, like, seeing the, the different types of people who can get into it. Um, and I think that's reflected in our Instagram, like, people from all different ages and races and genders 
and sexual orientations just getting into these images. Mm-hmm. And it helps um, spread the work beyond, you know, I think it was, it used to be pretty limited to the scanlation boards five years ago. Yeah. Now it's just regular old hip folks. <laughs> in the couve. In yeah. the couve. <laughs> all across the world, even in the couve, they just appreciate a hunky dude. Brandon, you're kicked out of Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Could I point out like one tiny thing before you guys go? Um, like yes, one of my former marketing person for Fanographics. Yeah, so, no, yeah, so yeah. By the way, the, the new uh, the new cover is some good treasure trail on it. Um, yeah. 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 There. Um, but uh, yeah. One of the, one of the people that works at Fanographics actually is um, kind of a bigger uh guy, and he you know Midwestern corn fed. Um, and he was just so excited about massive. I mean, you know, he's he's straight. He's married. You know, like I don't know if he ever like played around in college at all, but we should he, call him and ask. Yeah, I could call him. <laughs> yeah, he could totally just call up right now. But yeah, I think he was just so excited about the book. He's just like. I finally feel like my body type's being represented. And it, you know, it didn't, you know, it may not be his cup of tea, like, reading what, I mean, he actually super loves it. But I just, I think the fact that there was more representation versus, like, what you are talking about earlier with the Yahweh, um, yeah. it's sort of that, like, like the, um, the body image stuff that women have been dealing with since, like, you know, the, the beauty myth with Naomi Wolf, and that there's been this subsect of guys that are, like, suffering silently, who now are getting to, like, Revel in it, like yeah, you have your own fashion line, the the tanga, uh, all of it. Like, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really um, thoughtful point, Jen. Especially and especially like the feminist aspect of it. I mean, not it. It could be a little silly, but in a way, um, men are oppressed by beauty standards as much as women are. It's just in a different way, and like, I don't know. It makes me happy to hear that a, a burly straight guy could find something to identify in this. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, by any means necessary, you know. I, I just want to tie this back to the rotten woman, but that's like, if we can sort of piggyback on this sort of emancipation of fat people by way of gay men, then, you know, it's like kind of awesome for everybody. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're all just kind of right. like. He's actually eating more sugar while you were saying that. <laughs> 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 that hey. I was actually eating gummy bears while looking at gay porn. God, you've learned <laughs> nothing. You're supposed to get big on protein, not cake. <laughs> I can't. I can't have your body standards telling me how to gain weight. You know, I, as long as as long as people can carry me out in an event of a fire, that's all. I, that's all that's important to me. Uh, Brandon, I'm sorry, but you're fucked. <laughs> you're seven feet tall right there. We already have a problem. Really? <laughs> no, he's like, what, 6'6"? Six, six? I'm 6'5", six, but yeah. Six, five. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a tall man. Um, Thank you, and thank you, Graham. And uh, thank you, Brandon sorry, and Jen. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. But yeah, I highly recommend people go out and check out their book. It's a it's a fantastic look into a uh, a different a different type of manga than uh, than you'd find in like Shonen Jump. Um, and the, once again, the book is massive from Fanographics as well, uh, and's been translating a series of uh, Tagami collections for another publisher. I forget the name of that publisher. Brunegemander. 
There we go. Um, and the, I guess you said it's like totally rare now, the picture box Tagami book? Oh yeah, that book is, um, yeah, I mean, everybody's telling us it's on Amazon and eBay at like, you know, starting $200 a pop or whatever, so if you have a copy, don't give it to anybody. <laughs> uh, we're hoping to get it reprinted. Um, yes. It's, there's a lot of demand for it. Yes. Well, let me know so I can sell it <laughs> and then buy another copy. Oh, and let me just add a little self-promoting. Um, since I know you, your podcast is listened to by a lot of comics industry people, um, Massive is nominated for an Eisner, so oh, nice. please consider... For your consideration, voting. Yeah, fuck Little Nemo. <laughs> I just want to put out there that if, if Will do... Eisner was alive today, it's what he would be masturbating to. Yeah, that's right. Do you, want the, right. do you want the biggest book in the best anthology or the biggest boner? Like, what it, yeah, there you right? go. The anthology, right? yeah. No Our... one's getting a boner from Little Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should delete that part. That didn't come out how I attended. <laughs> Little Nemo is long dead, you know, so it's your time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was based off a real child who grew up and probably yeah, like, had a, like, a full and exciting sex life of his own, Robin. <laughs> yeah. using, using those bedposts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> okay. Thank you.